Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. I am sitting with the one and the only Krista Cahill. She is a yoga teacher, activist, Led Zeppelin enthusiast, animal lover, and a totally psychedelic person. <laughs> I'm stoked to have you with us, Krista. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. We're sitting in her beautiful garden with her amazing animals. <laughs> Mick Jagger, little Tina Turner. <laughs> and um, we're just going to have our casual conversation and hopefully drop some knowledge on some people today. So we usually take people on kind of a journey in these podcasts, a little backstory for our audience to get a feel of who you are and what you do and paint us a picture of your life and where it all kind of started. Well, I'm a Southern California native. I was born in Oceanside and I was born across the street from the ocean. So I've always had a very interconnected relationship to water, the beach, beach culture, the ocean, and things that were probably a little bit more liberal in nature because of that. So, you know, sitting on the floor and drinking coconuts and eating vegetarian food was sort of my instincts all through growing up as a kid, even though I was so far from yoga as a kid, such a troublemaker. <laughs> so bad would get into so much trouble and loved acting out and being a nuisance and being a rebel of course so um you know it's it's an interesting thing when people who've known me for a long time hear that i'm a yoga teacher it's surprising to them because <laughs> they probably would have much more imagined me becoming a bartender or a party promoter <laughs> or a drug dealer <laughs> So, yeah, so becoming a yoga teacher was um, a surprise in my life, and it happened at an early age um, by accident, and um, yeah, I'm really happy to be a yoga teacher. I'm really fortunate. I know of all the jobs in the world, I got really lucky mm. to land in something that I love, that I love doing, that I'm naturally gifted at, and that helps me to connect and to do my best to support other people, which just feels good in general. Yeah. When did you uh, discover you? You said it was at an early age. Was it just by chance or did somebody kind of introduce you to it? I, I mean, I had taken some yoga classes. There was a local fitness center and things like that. But these classes were more, um, there was a lot of older people in them and um, yoga, like my grandpa used to say, you're going to yogi now. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, he would laugh about it because, you know, it was basically his age group of people stretching and, you know, sort of that vibe and energy. And, you know, I, I, I was interested in it, but it didn't really hook me. So moreover, I chose to do things like I would love to run on the beach or I would, you know, try surfing or snowboarding, horseback riding, dancing, mm. any, any other vigorous activity really was what I was wanting to do on a regular basis. Um, but I really got moved by yoga and into yoga when I was 19. I had just um, moved back from Arizona where I was in culinary school. And I was back in Southern California doing an externship, which is just accruing hours in the industry until I could um, get enough to get my diploma. So um, I happened upon an Ashtanga class down in Encinitas with Tim Miller and it was the first time I had ever seen any kind of a vigorous fluid yoga and it was amazing it reminded me of you know like martial arts or dance or something that had that that energy that fluidity but it was focused so it it had a lot of everything that I had always been drawn to in just so many different things but it was all encompassing Mm -hmm. So that was what hooked me and what probably 
drove me to where I am now, I would say. I don't think the other style would have probably given me that level of interest and passion for it. Yeah. And what a good teacher that you stumbled upon yeah. <laughs> right out the gates. Yeah, and through him I met a lot of his students who were also great teachers and people who I ended up practicing with a lot and feminine, strong female energies that, you know, in Ashtanga, it's, it's already such a masculine practice and mm. to have like a strong feminine energy in the room is, is a really nice balance yeah. to that. So, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great time in my life and... You know, Ashtanga is so, it's such a different practice than any other kind of practice because you're really, you're, you're with yourself, you know, and it's the same poses every day and you're what's different every day and you're having to acknowledge that every day and yesterday I could do this, today I can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that you're moving backwards, it's just every day is different. Yeah, I really like that analogy. The poses are always the same, but you're what's different. That's yeah. really great. Yeah, you come in with a different attitude. Um, I know you are known for, and for really good reason, to be a sophisticated yoga teacher. Um, and you're a very alignment-based yoga teacher. And you've grown this reputation <laughs> for your anatomical instruction and your knowledge of the body. Who or what um, kind of inspired you to go down that road and you know, really develop that hungry student mind where you just like devour as much knowledge as you can because, um, you know, I've known you guys for a while and I know that you're always learning and always studying and stuff like that when so many other teachers, not, I'm not trying to talk crap about anybody, so many teachers get complacent and they're just like, oh, okay, I did a training and I'm just done for the rest of my life. But there's that, no, I'm always going to grow. There's always something more. There's always another peak to climb. Well, I think it's just my nature, you know, I think that, you know, when I was in culinary school, it's not acceptable to send anything to the expediter that's not 100% perfect, mm -hmm. and it literally has to be perfect where you throw it away and you start over. You don't send anything out that's not perfect. So a little bit that's my personality, is like I'm just going to beat it to death until I can get it as close to perfect as I possibly can. So as a teacher I don't see it as being different than being a chef. I'm going to I'm going to repeat the same recipes over and over and over again until I can get it to as close to balance as possible where there's not more strength or more space but it's equal and there's that per, you know there's no such thing as perfect but as close to perfect balance as possible. So I mean there's so many amazing teachers out there mm -hmm. and I am a part of me is terrified that these people are going to not be around anymore and mm -hmm. I won't have an opportunity to study with them so that's part of it too it's like there's gonna be a point when they retire right and then what and then then who do you go to and right. you do need a teacher in my opinion my experience it's you can't see yourself you need a teacher it's a symbiosis and um, I think it's fun it's fun to see how different teachers have done different things and what their experiences have brought they see you know so much in 50 years of teaching or yeah. 30 years of teaching nothing matches that mm -hmm. even if you're a genius experience still is better yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, like you're saying, somebody um, that everybody's going to, you know, need a teacher at some point. And we all need a teacher. You know, I, I think about when you're even a kid, somebody had to teach you how to tie your shoes. Totally. Somebody had to teach you how to brush your teeth. Somebody had to teach you every little thing, ABCs. You know, when it comes to something as sophisticated as yoga or just how to live a holistic lifestyle or anything, somebody's got to help you point point you in the right direction and help you along the way. 100%. And I think that this is the biggest challenge that I feel. You know, it was really not ideal to not have a mentor all the way along. You know, I mm -hmm. didn't have what I consider to be a true mentor until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And what a difference it's made for me. 
I mean, it's like having Cliff's notes. <laughs> you know, right, it's yeah. like I have a person who has this issue. What can I do? What are things, suggestions? How can I make it easier, more adaptable, whatever? And it's like that experience, it's everything. It alleviates so much suffering for you as a teacher, just feeling like I, I'm inadequate, I can't help this person. Or it makes you feel like I can help people. I can improve their quality of life physically beyond that obviously but you know starting with the physical stuff as a teacher if you don't have a mentor and somebody that you can ask when you don't know and to be brave enough to say I don't know I need to ask somebody that that takes a lot of pressure off your off your shoulders as a young teacher and I didn't have somebody who was my mentor specifically I had people who I would ask questions to but they weren't my go-to person yeah so it took me a long time to get there I really recommend if people feel the same that they they find that person that they can lean on that's what that's what I think the the hard thing about 200 hours is is like you're kind of on your own after that you know yeah and I think it's I mean 200 hours is just a little drop of water and what oh it really God, takes to be nothing. a yoga teacher. It's nothing. It's it's just the, I feel it's like when you're building a fire, it's just like making a spark. Yeah. You know, and then the rest of the journey is creating the actual fire and totally. the teaching time and assisting time and the question time and like you're saying, finding a mentor and like gluing yourself to them for a while and, you know, making a real effort. And that's what really helps you become an actual you know, sophisticated and uh, a light in the yoga community. Well, I think it, it helps your students more than anything um, because you can say, I don't know, and go to somebody who has twice, three times, four times your experience and get their advice. And that cuts down on a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. and things that can take a long time. Maybe you'll eventually get to the solution or the the actual problem, not just studying the symptoms all the time, but yeah. you know, really seeing where it's stemming from. And I think I don't know. It just why not? If there are amazing, knowledgeable people out there, why why not? Yeah, it's better for everyone, <laughs> and it's better for them too because they feel needed, and they feel like they're being able to pass on all of this time and energy that they have invested and all this knowledge. You know, mm. it's like those teachers are valuable, mm. really valuable. Yeah, of course. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those, uh, I feel, decisions that people need to make and, uh, you know, search their heart and their mind and create that humble frame of mind with like, okay, I'm just a student. You know, I always tell people that if you're a real student of yoga and you're trying to teach yoga out there, you tell everybody, I'm not a master of teaching yoga, I am a student of yoga, and you keep that student mind so that the last class you ever teach in your life should be the best class you ever teach, because it'll reflect a lifetime of study, a Absolutely. lifetime of growing and learning. Um, you and your husband are very passionate about animals and the love of the ocean, and how did that all kind of unfold in your yoga journey and transpire? Because I know you guys do so much incredible work and activism and education and you know, I see you guys, I've done beach cleanups with you guys too, and just educating children and the up-and-coming youth about what's going on. And, you know, it's it's inspiring. And how did that kind of unfold for you all? We, I mean, I've had a connection to the ocean my whole life. I was born across the street from the beach. I, my dad's a surfer. My brothers are surfers. You know, I go to the beach every day after school or in the summertime. And, always been a beach lover, always been an animal lover. I was a vegetarian as a kid. I had every pet that I could possibly talk somebody into getting me. Always loved animals, wanted to be a vet like when I was really young until I realized that you had to actually see animals be hurt and then I decided I didn't want to <laughs> be a vet anymore because I didn't want to have to like do the hard things. You yeah, know, that, euthanize them, put them to yeah, sleep when they're oh, old oh. and sick. Oh man, I wouldn't. I would just have like 900 old dogs. Um, And then, you know, Brock grew up in the mountains, always an outdoorsman, always, I mean, I think his mom trained him 
to start recycling before he was even able to walk. <laughs> because, you know, she, she started a recycling program at her college, I think, way mm. back before recycling was cool. And I think that that, you know, as a parent, I'm sure you know that when your kids watch you repeatedly doing something, it just becomes ingrained in a part of how you live your life and the person, the character that you are. And um, I think that when he and I got together, you know, I took him to Hawaii and we swam with the turtles. And that was, I, I think that was his awakening to how much he loved the animals in the ocean. Mm. You know, just that one day that we were riding, petting, swimming with turtles and, yeah. you know, we were all over those turtles. <laughs> I mean, we were molesting them pretty much. <laughs> we didn't know at the time that you weren't supposed to be, like, handling the wildlife like that. Yeah. But we were just so into it. And um, from there, we met an amazing and inspiring man who uh, has dedicated his life to saving sharks from shark finning. And through that meeting him, um, we were really inspired this guy was my age you know and I was like wait a minute you don't have to be old and do something really awesome to like help <laughs> animals like dang it I thought I was too young and too under under you know finance to to do something you yeah. know and he really showed us I think that no matter how old you are you can do something you can make a difference and if you feel passionate about something Go for it. Yeah. And um, that, and we still are amazing friends with him, and he's still inspiring us. And now Brock's working with him on making his second movie, and or his third movie, and um, the activism, beach cleanups, all of that. You know, it just organically bloomed from that original upbringing that we both had me with the ocean and animals and him with his mom and being conscious about the environment and and, and loving the outdoors and wanting to preserve this amazing thing that we've been so fortunate to be living in this gorgeous planet mm. and to not contribute to its demise but to be something that helps support it just like we do our yoga students mm. Yeah, sustaining. Totally. Yeah, you know, it's it's also one of those interesting things because it's just a I feel um, a natural progression if you're you know following a yoga path that you know everything that you guys are doing is just part of yoga. You know, it's a big missing piece actually in the yoga community. It's a huge like um, void. The idea of Pantanjali's first instruction of ahimsa and all these things that just become this. Um, diluted, watered-down version of what it should have been, and to the point where people like change the meaning and to suit their personal beliefs, and things get altered, which frustrates me because, you know, I grew up in a yoga ashram in Hawaii, and it was just very common knowledge, and it was just, uh, you know, like you were saying, you know, your parents, the way they do something ingrains in you. My parents are very passionate about the idea of ahimsa and how to properly live it. And my dad lived in India um, for so long, and it was just my introduction to the idea was like how some kid would have been raised in India, you know? It was not up for uh, interpretation or discussion, if that makes sense. It was like, yeah, this is what it means, create the least amount of harm, you know, eating of animals and all this different stuff. And I grew up loving animals and taking care of them, having a strong connection. And then it was like culture shock for me when I was started teaching in Los Angeles <laughs> with the way everything was just like altered and changed and, you know, moved around. and. You know, I was just telling this to Kia Miller the other day. I was saying, you know, it's really wild how if I told people, if I got a room full of yoga teachers together, just a whole bunch of them, and I said, I'm going to start doing chaturanga with my hands turned in facing each other, my elbows out, and I lowered a chaturanga every time like that. Every teacher in the room would say, you're going to injure yourself, dude. Stop doing that. And I would just say, well, it's my interpretation. they go, well, your interpretation is going to physically hurt you. And then I would say, well, then how can we all agree that I cannot do the physical asana this way that will cause physical injury? And we all agree that this will cause physical injury, and this is a no-no to do your chaturanga like this. But all the other stuff in Pantajali's Eight Sutras is up for interpretation. And to me, I think that causes spiritual injury. You know, there's got to be some kind of clear line through it and a way to live it and a way to practice it. And I think it's even better not to like judge people, but 
to for teachers if they're not going to follow it rather than changing it just saying hey this is what it really is i'm just not there yet but i really want to present it to you guys the way it really was supposed to be you know versus like watering it down yeah i think we obviously are practicing in a way that puts other things before the recommendations of you could see his recommendations as like advice from a mentor yeah you know in in a way uh, a really old mentor <laughs> <laughs> but i think that the general idea of mindful living in a way that minimizes because we're all going to cause injury and harm it's, of course we're human it's not possible to live perfectly but to just keep working it you know until you dial it in to the point where you're minimizing your harmfulness in this world whatever way you can if if you have a choice between harm and non-harm do your best to always choose non-harm yeah and to make it a practice just like every other thing you do on your yoga mat and i think that a lot of it is fear you know people are scared of the control of letting go of you know something like eating meat for example mm -hmm. because you know it's like it's like somebody who smokes cigarettes of course it's not good for them but they still do it it's why addicting. do they do it because they it, it's it's something about their personality it gives them a certain amount of control over something or a certain sensation that they're looking for it's the same thing with meat it's they're looking for that sensation that energy that vibration, that's what they're drawing into their life, that's what they're drawing into their life force. Yeah. You know, that's the energy they're merging with, connecting with, probably on more levels than just the food. Yeah. And it may be how they were raised, habituation, who knows, beliefs. Some people believe that if you don't eat meat, you're gonna die. And my dad used to tell me that when I was a kid. He's like, you know, if you don't eat meat, you're gonna die. And I would be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't believe that. You might believe that, but that's yours, not mine. I don't believe that. You know, I grew up eating bean burritos and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because, you know, my parents ate meat, my family ate yeah. meat. And so I didn't want to eat that crap. Yeah, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine. I actually am the most healthy person probably in my entire family. <laughs> yeah, my mom, when uh, she was pregnant with me and my siblings and things like that, you know, we have a family with a lot of medical professionals in it, and my grandfather was like, you can't be pregnant and try to eat a vegetarian diet because that baby's going to come out mentally disabled it's and gonna be a, broccoli. a dwarf. going to give birth and, to a broccoli. <laughs> yeah. And then he was shocked. He's like, oh my God, they can have healthy children oh in the womb gosh. and everything. So It's amazing. Times and But times are changing, you know, and I, I, I find it inspiring because times are changing and people's... Um, filter and shield and all these things that they block themselves with for so long is kind of getting scraped away and people are seeing a lot of incredible stuff happen you know and because of things that people like you and Brock or your friend who did Shark Water which is an amazing documentary. You should definitely do a podcast with Rob. Yeah oh yeah he's a wonderful guy. He's a great and speaker he's very inspiring. I went to that thing on the pier with you guys and he talked a little bit very eloquent yes. very sophisticated very educated yes. he's not just some guy he's who just decided biologist. to make a documentary he's a guy who knows why he made a documentary and give you all the answers behind the documentary. Yes. So, yes. Um, great. If you guys are listening to go watch that, you Shark can watch water. it pretty much anywhere. <laughs> On um, YouTube for free. Yeah. <laughs> um, beat that. But, you know, it's like it's people like him, for instance, uh, open people's minds to what's going with sharks and also changing uh, stigma about sharks because everyone's terrified, terrified of sharks. It's funny, I went surfing years ago, I was like maybe 15 or 16, and there was a huge tropical storm that hit and it brought all these crazy, you know, tropical animals into, all these sea animals into the water, and I landed on top of a shark after I fell off a wave. I landed on a shark. He was so scared. Yeah. He took off flying so fast. Yeah. Totally. I'm not saying I wasn't scared either. I was like 15 or 16, but I, he was more scared. He like squiggled to get out of me, freaking bolted off, yeah. and it was an awakening. I was like, what the hell? I just landed on this like 
four foot long, five foot long shark, and he's terrified. terrified. You know, yeah. everyone thinks that a shark is like, <laughs> it's like, it's like Jaws. It's like some bad, evil, malicious creature. It's the no. same thing with even pit bulls. Animals don't have agendas. People have agendas. Exactly. Animals do not. If a, if a dog bites you, probably you moved in too fast. If yeah. a shark bites you, you probably either by accident or you're in its territory and it got afraid for yeah. some reason. Yeah, there's this interesting thing. There's um, these animal behaviorists that watched um, these lions, and they went into a watering hole, and they sat next to zebras, gazelles, and everything, and they drank right next to them. And everyone was chill with him. And the reason he was chill, they realized, is because he had already just eaten and he wasn't going to harm them unnecessarily, and they picked up on his vibe. But the moment that same lion came to the watering hole and he was hungry, before he even got to the watering hole, that's where all the zebras were like, oh my god, we got to get the hell out of here, and they all started running. But they thought it was very interesting that they wouldn't run if he was full. They knew he wouldn't step outside his quota, that he wasn't like a shifty, shady character who would hurt them unnecessarily. But when a human being went to that water hole, watering hole, whether he was hungry or full, they would run. It says, says something about humanity, you know, yeah. is the world's greatest predator because we're the ones that are shifty. We're the ones who are s- scary to other living creatures. Yeah, we're willing to kill, you know, a white rhino for $100,000 the last one just we'll, to have it on a wall. We'll kill a person yeah. for no reason. You know. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yes. A bug because it came <laughs> into our house. Yes. Uh, you look Not because we're hungry and we want to eat that bug. <laughs> exactly. And you look at, like, these animals, like, all your beautiful little dogs are sitting next to us, and they're just chilling. They're just living life. Yeah. They're cruising. They've got no agenda to do harm or do anything. They're just... They're happy to be. They're always unconditionally loving, and they are, in my opinion, the true yogis. You know, we're mimicking them in all these poses, crow pose and turtle pose and whatever other down dog pose. We're mimicking them, except for we're just doing it physically. We're, we're sometimes forgetting to mimic the mindset and the instinct and all of that that happens to them as well, you know? It's like our instincts are just as good as an animal's. We've just learned to turn them off and turn the cell phone on. Yeah. You know, we've, we've sort of lost our our ninja power a little bit, you know? And <laughs> yeah. knowing, like, that shark... I'll, I'll never forget when we were in the Bahamas swimming with these amazing oceanic white tip sharks probably eight eight sharks around us there was like four or five of us in the water and rob's filming and brock's watching his back and you know we had another person in the water um who runs the the diving uh organization and his kid seven-year-old kid was in the water swimming with these these are considered the most dangerous the sharks that have killed more people than any other shark in history are these oceanic white tip sharks mm. and his seven-year-old kid swims with them like every day yeah and names them and it's adorable but then all of a sudden i hear his mom scream get him out of the boat there's a mako and you could tell there's a different energy with the shark coming up from the depths had mm. a different energy it wasn't an energy of like swimming around curiously it was an energy of like is there something to eat up here yeah and she pulled that kid out of the water in one second because she felt instinctually that shark is on a different path. He has a different agenda than these other sharks that are swimming here, mm-hmm. curious, not looking for what, is there a feeding frenzy? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. What's all this commotion? Yeah. And I think that that is something that is an amazing tool because you know, the more we can prevent sharks from biting people, the less people will have mm-hmm. that stigma. To know when you're in the water with an animal or with any animal or with any human, like yeah. what is the intention? Like what's the energy, the vibe they're putting off? And then to adjust your approach according to that, like get out of the water, get out of the restaurant, get out, whatever it is, get out of the relationship. Yeah. If the agenda means harm or if there's you know if you don't want to get eaten probably (laughs) just go away from that situation (laughs) right well it's becoming more uh, in tune and intuitive in general you know i think so being out in the wild with animals or being in the wild jungle of the city with other human beings creating a certain kind of awareness can change kind of experiences that we have and becoming very in tune it's funny american indians always um used to laugh and couldn't understand why human be- well, all the Westerner humans would all wear these big cowboy boots. They go, you don't want to feel your feet on the earth? 
And they went and saw how they lived, and they lived in these two-story, like, houses that they were building. And they go, why don't you sleep on the ground? Why are you separating yourself from the earth? And they used to laugh and say, you guys are going to become so out of touch. You know, out of touch. And, you know, it's incredible. You hear all these stories of just even American Indians in general being able to see where the animals sleep, know when they were going to show up, know when things were going to happen before they happened and stuff. There's this certain kind of... um, connection to the earth that we're losing because we're getting all these different degrees of separation not just from the clothes we wear but the homes we live in but the technological devices we're absorbed in you know we're like stuck on our cell phone we're stuck on our computer stuck on our television completely um extracted from the real world you know we're living in a different kind of world well hopefully we can use yoga as the catalyst for getting people to be back in touch with that because I really do think that it's an amazing practice and when you approach it from a true intention, an intention where it's rooted in something substance, not superficial, it it does connect you. There's absolutely no way it can't. and. Um, I, I really don't think you can stay disconnected if you practice with a very deeply rooted intention every time. I, I, I mean, I, I don't. If your intention is to go and burn 500 calories, you may not find the same level of connection and shift. But then again, you just need to adjust what you're there to receive, what you're there to do, and it's all about intention. You know. People can be right next to each other on the mat and be getting something completely different from the exact same class, the exact same sequence, the exact same teacher. Two totally different experiences. Yeah. And it's all about you, your attitude, and where you're coming from. Yeah. And if we want to get back to that, I mean, I do, you do. I know there's a lot. Then, you know, we have this amazing platform, yoga, and we can help people. Mm-hmm. And it is our job Yeah. to help people. That's part of the hard part of being a yoga teacher, you know, is that you, you have to consistently teach yoga. You can't mm. just, you know, yeah. you can't just be afraid that you're always going to scare people off or irritate people because you say what you say or, you know, you're Yeah, you you're just got to speak the, the truth. Absolutely. You got to drop some knowledge on some people. <laughs> and sometimes that knowledge doesn't always taste good. <laughs> it's funny. There's a analogy that I learned when I was a kid. Um, and it, it was it was always related to meditation, but you can relate it to a lot of things. But that in India, when somebody has the disease jaundice hepatitis, in India they give you your prescription drug and they give you a big bag of rock candy, because when you have jaundice hepatitis, rock candy tastes horrendous. It tastes so bitter you can't taste any of the sweet. But over the course of time, as the patient is taking the medication and eating the rock candy, the doctors know the patient is becoming well when the patient says the raw candy starting to taste sweet. And it's like meditation, you know, it doesn't always taste good. It's like the spiritual practices in yoga, it's not always fun. Even the physical practice is not always fun, it's brutal. But over the course of time, it starts to get sweet. It starts to develop, and then it becomes just part of your life, something that you can't live without, just like food or water, other nutrients that you seek out every day. It becomes your little reservoir. Absolutely, that's a great analogy. It is. Sometimes taking medicine is not easy, especially when you're the the person giving it to yourself. <laughs> it's much easier when someone else is forcibly making you take it. <laughs> exactly. Um, what has been some of your greatest challenges in your yoga journey? Like things that you found that were like big barriers or maybe a, like a, blo- a roadblock that you had to overcome and kind of tackle? I mean, there's always so many, you know, as a student and as a teacher. You know, it's comparison, that's a big one. You know, it's like that person, you know, it's easy for them to do that. Why is it hard for me? Mm. Or, you know, there, I mean, there's so many things. It's, it's an endless minefield of obstacles and and things that you're navigating through and I don't think that there is ever one thing I mean sometimes it's your diet sometimes it's your mind sometimes it's your body sometimes I mean there it's it's everything Mm -hmm. you're dealing with everything that's why I think that yoga is so all-encompassing because 
you're opening every closet and cupboard door and cleaning and and rearranging and you know it's like really every every problem that you have you can address through either being you know a student or a teacher both interchangeably right because <laughs> as a teacher your students are reflecting to you mm. yourself and then as a practitioner you're watching your own reflection mm. as you're you know coming up against whatever obstacle is in front of you so yeah i mean to be a teacher is to uh, to be a student and and to have to deal with all that stuff off your mat you know yeah. watching others on their mat as they go through it you're like oh i know i, I had that same reaction this morning <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. and it's okay and it's gonna happen again and you gotta just move through it and show up tomorrow yeah and go again with every obstacle you know sometimes it's the smelly person next to you <laughs> totally sometimes you're the teacher and you have to address the smelly person you know what i mean it's like there's so many things it's amazing how many things there are you know there's dynamics between people between you and people and it's it's always an interesting experience it's never not interesting it's never not challenging it's always challenging navigating the maze of life yes Absolutely, and people, unpredictable. People who have agendas, projections, all kinds of things. Even when you're a student, people are comparing Mm -hmm. themselves to you, even if you're not a teacher. Even if you go to a class and you're a lawyer during the day and at night you go to class, there are people in that room projecting on you and comparing to you and envious of you, And no matter what, it's happening. Mm. And it's always interesting. Yeah, it is always interesting. The dynamics of personalities mm-hmm. are, are is an interesting thing in general. Um, I know you uh, briefly mentioned that you know you are going to culinary school and things like that, and I know you cook a lot to this day. How has what you cook and how you cook changed over the years? Because I know you like it was very funny. I, I was cracking up when you went off to Paris and you you sent a picture out on social media of you cooking for rock for why you're gone it was like enormous amount of food you were gonna all junk food though it was amazing like last night i I was like okay i'm gonna make spaghetti squash and like he wrinkled his nose and looked at me like ew and i was like okay how about i put some french fries with it he's like yeah (laughs) you know it's like he loves pizza like refried beans like I know, and he, fried he, and potatoes look at him. he looks like yeah. he, he weighs like 130 no, he pounds he needs to eat that way he, he needs to he needs to like carb load he's so vata <laughs> I know he needs to carb load the marathon of life you know yeah. he's doing so much teaching full time you know coordinate, co-coordinating a, a feature film and yeah. running an organization and trying to keep a very difficult wife happy and <laughs> You know, plus practice every day and study and be a student. We're yeah. going back to Dona in the spring and, mm. you know, just everything. It's like he meets the carb load. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my cooking has changed. I mean, I've always I've always cooked for the purpose of meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cook in meditation. I'm, I'm 100% cooking for my gut. I never use a recipe, ever. Yeah. You know, I open the cupboard and I smell and I let my gut tell me what to combine with what and how much and and when to put it in and all of that just comes from such a deep place of my I don't know my dad has it too I got it from my dad he's an amazing self-taught cook and always just observed the way that he did things and it was so instinctual and it was so just from his energy and his palate and all of that and that's how I always cooked it's just that now I have to do a lot more chemistry because I can't just throw butter into a dough right. and laminate it you right. know now I have to figure out how to chemically compound two different things together to create the levity in the dough or whatever it is that I want to do it's much more scientific now in that way but I still use my gut when I'm just cooking like not technical things. Yeah. I'll just throw it. like I love making Mexican food. It's oh, the best. I love Mexican food. God, it's so good. It's so fun. It's amazing and it's so easy to to make Mexican food vegan. Yeah. 
I think so too. I mean, I think it's the best. I mean, I don't think Brock's complaining. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it also helps that I grew up so close to Mexico. I mean, San Diego has some <laughs> yeah. amazing. And my my stepmother actually taught me to make refried beans, and she, I think, makes better refried beans than anyone mm. who actually grew up in Mexico. I don't know why, but she just was able to master that and teach me that, and, you mm. know, so I grew up never eating, you know, beans from a can, ever. Yeah. Ugh. Always fresh <laughs> refried beans. Yeah. Always fresh. You know, fresh biscuits in the morning, things like that, you know, never, like... Pop-tart. Nobody's going Crap. into Bisco for you and just getting all that stuff. <laughs> I think, you know, we had like Cheerios when we were a kid, but that right. was, you know, that's the extent probably of it. because that's what we wanted as kids was just, you know, sugar on top of Cheerios, <laughs> sugar on top of sugar. Right. Um, but now I'm cooking in a way that is not just about me. It's, I'm thinking of others. I'm thinking of not making money that we, you know, uh, for a certain period of my life, it was all about how to make the most money from the ingredients. Like, how do I use every part and like maximize yeah. the dovetail it out until I can like actually turn a profit from this wedding cake I'm making this person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and now it's all just about you know thinking of others, thinking of the planet, thinking of mm. the farmers. Like, how do I support the people who I'm behind what they're doing and supporting companies, certain companies and not supporting others. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into every meal it's from start to finish, like where I'm buying it, go to Rainbow Acres, go to the co-op, go to the farmer's market, you know, do your best to buy organic. Like all of that has changed a lot. I don't think I even thought about organic when I was a young chef. Yeah. I mean, I just had the best of the best ingredients. So yeah. I wasn't thinking like, is are these truffles organic or is this two thousand dollar slab of ahi tuna organic or right. farm raised or wild or whatever it was yeah. just whatever yeah whatever yeah and i don't <laughs> think most people do and that's also again just uh creating more awareness brings more awareness totally and uh yeah it's really wild when you start to open up that whole world because then you, actually the food that you make means even so much more than it did before because you know how much thought went into every aspect of making that meal like okay i know it's organic i know it's you know that farmers are treated well i know that this food is good for you it's going to sustain the body and you and i were just talking before the podcast well you know just how youthful you know eating a healthy organic plant-based diet is and just it creates vitality you know absolutely i will never go back ever (laughs) You know, I, I think back on that time. I was thinking back the other day, talking with Rob and Brock and another client of mine about seafood, and I just remember some really disgusting things. You know, cutting into swordfish and seeing a huge worm, oh. and like you, you, you just cut it and you serve it anyways because that's happening. That's in every fish. Fish are filled with parasites, oh, and the filled. bigger, the more predatory the fish, like a swordfish, a tuna, any of the predatory fish, they are. Filled with disgusting worms, and when you're going to a sushi place and eating that, you're eating parasites, basically. Yeah. Ugh. And I mean, I think back on that, and it just turns my stomach. And I, I mean, I'm so <laughs> happy to think like, when I eat that sweet potato, first of all, it's cooked. Secondly, <laughs> like there wasn't a huge parasite that I was slicing into while I was getting it ready. You yeah. know, it's just like I don't know. Sometimes. Thinking back, like, my stomach turns at some of the things that I've served and eaten in my life. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. You know, when I first met my wife, she, um, you know, I was you know, totally plant-based, and she wasn't when I met her. And I would always take her to the only, like, close-by vegetarian restaurant at the time, which was just Real Food Daily. <laughs> and I kept taking her there, and then one day we're sit- waiting in line for a table, and she's like, oh, you know, you're a vegetarian. She's like, but do we always have to eat at Real Food Daily? Oh. And would you ever be okay with me still just eating, like, fish and eggs and chicken or whatever? And I'm just, you know, it's part of who I am. So I said, no, it's not going to be okay. It's a deal breaker. And she was like, <gasps> And, you know, it was, like, the worst date ever. We were, like, eating our meal and silence. You know, silence. She's not looking at me. And then like she was. Like, all this resentment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're always going to have to eat at Real Food Daily. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then. The next day, she had to fly out to go see her dad, um, who, was had, who had a vacation rental, and 
um, Key West in Florida. And so she flies out to see him, and she had a tradition with him that they'd go out to a restaurant and go get grouper, a fish together. So she lands, and he's like, hey, you want to go get some grouper? She's like, yes. Like, screw that tamal guy. (laughs) And so she goes out to eat, and uh, when they get to the restaurant, they order their grouper. It gets on the table, and he eats his, and she opens up hers, and it's totally black and rotten inside. There's like a tumor inside of it. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, calls the waiter over. I can't, I can't eat this. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Let me get you another one. And brings another one. She opens it up again and it's a totally different fish. It's totally rotten inside. <gasps> and she's like, never mind. I'm not going to eat today. And then while she's in Florida, three or four days pass, her dad goes, hey, let's go to a different restaurant. You want to try it again? She's like, okay, yeah, let's go to a different restaurant. So they go to a different restaurant. They order. She cuts open to her fish and it cuts into a tumor again. <gasps> totally different restaurant a third fish she's like okay this is like a side for yes. god or something yes. i don't know what's going on and she came back to la she's like i want to talk to you and i was like okay great here it goes guess we're breaking up that's what i thought you know and so i get to her house she's like this is what happened she tells me the story and she's like i want to see if i can try to be plant-based i want to see if i can do this and i said all right let's try it and you know 10 years later she's still doing it now she's like has her own plant-based blog and magazine and channel and she's obsessed about it and she cooks all the time and, and all she does is read and get more educated and it gets her more fired up and then she helps and share shares with other people Amazing. and it's the same kind of thing where it's just you create awareness it breeds more awareness you know well and the more you know i think that the people who are, can't they feel they can't do it it's because they actually don't cook yeah and they don't know how to cook they don't know anything about food and it's so scary you know it's like there's no real like recipe books out there, mm. you know, that they know of because they've never tried to further their knowledge in any way. But if people do feel that that's a barrier, I think start doing research because there's a lot more information out there. I mean, I've completely self-taught myself how to change from being a classically trained French chef to being a plant-based, I'm not a chef anymore, but cook and, you know, feed myself, my, my husband. and so much knowledge out there you don't have to go to a special school or anything i mean you can teach yourself you can find ways it's fun actually if you like cooking it's a nice new challenge especially when you get into the more technical things crusts and breads and things like that but it's fun you know to eat like a nice healthy satisfying meal at, at night is not you don't have to be a chef to do it yeah you know and with meat actually i think you have to have be more knowledgeable because cross-contamination and how to cook it properly and and how to tenderize it and all of those things are much more involved i think than just having a bunch of vegetables cutting it all with the same knife the same cutting board like interchanging mixing it all together using the same mixing bowls you're not like spreading salmonella (laughs) you know what i mean like you don't have to like it's not there's not so many potential things like you can eat raw batter because there's not raw egg in it like let brock lick the mixing bowl as much as he wants and he's not going to get sick there's actually so many upsides to it. You don't want to mix the egg batter with the parasite worm from the tuna with the salmonella. With the mercury from the <laughs> whatever else, yeah. And then lick the batter after yeah. it's all been combined. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if I had children, I would 100% not expose them to eating things like that, tumors and mercury and yeah. all of that stuff, because I wouldn't want to make them sick. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't want to make myself sick either, but if I had a kid, I would probably even more so mm. want to be a custodian and help them to really understand how to take care of themselves in a way that doesn't invite all these potential dangers in. Yeah, kids want to eat batter. Yeah. I mean, come on, you're a kid like Brock. Oh, yeah. You're going to be licking <laughs> those beaters as soon as it's oh, the, done being it's beaten. It's the best. <laughs> the, you know, the, in, the funny thing is, is when my wife was pregnant, we went to see our OB and she gave us a list of fish and it was just, we don't eat fish anyway because yeah. we're plant-based, but she gave us this fit, this list and it had every fish you couldn't eat. And I go, well, why can't we eat this fish? She goes, oh, because there's all these poisonous mercuries and things like that and poisons that are in the fish, all these heavy metals that could potentially cause, you know, deformities in your child and you don't want that. And I would looked at the list and just because I sometimes like to be devil's advocate, I, I go, well, that doesn't make any sense how come it's not safe to eat when you're pregnant but what makes it safe to eat when you're not pregnant and the doctor got or when so you're not ill or when you're yeah, old or just in general like 
it makes no sense. If this yeah. can create something like birth defects in a child, what makes it safe for anybody, even yeah, if you're not pregnant? That's what you feed the cancer patients. Yeah. And she got. She was like, just, just don't eat the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having a debate with you. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know. Um, getting educated and actually just spending time. It's kind of like an adventure, I always tell people. If you're fun. trying to make that switch over or start to flirt with it a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, you can always decide to go back if it doesn't suit you. I mean, there's no nothing saying that you can't. I mean, just try it. What's, yeah, what's the harm will. in trying? Or doing it every day, five days a week, and then letting yourself have whatever you need, eggs or whatever, on the weekend. Yeah. You know? But... If you can do something, do that. Don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're running out of time, uh, but I'd like to have you say uh, or share um, last words of wisdom, anything that you want to tell the audience, mm-hmm. impart something to them. Um, I, do, I do feel that we're living in a time when people might feel that they are unable to do something amazing because so many people are doing amazing things now and there's so so much opportunity and everything it's like everyone can do something amazing there's not one person on this earth that wasn't put here Mm. to do something amazing like every single person is here and they are amazing super duper talented super impactful and will and can and should do something positive to make a difference in the world a positive contribution creative contribution you know humanitarian contribution whatever it is to make a contribution and not to feel like you can't or that it's for someone else you know every single person is amazing and hopefully through yoga people start to realize that and that trickles down into their families and friends and the more people do amazing inspiring things the more it inspires people like my friend Rob who inspired Brock and I Mm. oh he's young he's doing it it's amazing I'm so inspired okay I can do it too yeah you know I don't know what it's gonna look like it's not gonna look like a shark movie you know but I'm gonna do something amazing and I'm gonna be able to use my talents and my unique attributes to do something wonderful that gives the world something positive and light and and hopefully moves us in a direction of yoga and kindness and everything that we really really need so much of right now yeah definitely um where can people find more about you and the retreats you do with brock and anything that you guys are um putting together website kermalliance.org awesome really the the main thing I don't have a website anymore. Um, I do have a Facebook page, but I rarely do anything with it, so that's really not very helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, Yoga Salt and Yoga Works, yeah. I teach at those two studios. Definitely. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Check out <laughs> check out everything they do with Kerm Alliance. It's very inspiring Absolutely. and get involved if you feel inspired to. Um, and as always, Krista, it's so much fun hanging out Thank with you. you. And you're beautiful pups hanging out here and crawling all over our sound tech <laughs> Sean they're like sitting on them the whole time yeah they're just giving you their love yeah they are <laughs> as always it's been great uh, doing a podcast and to all our listeners thank you for tuning in thank you until next time ciao ciao